Well, welcome to week five of this sermon series that we are calling Storybook. And in this series, um, we're allowing ourselves to be amazed by God's word. We're allowing ourselves to try to absorb what a big deal it is that this book is God communicating with us. And it really is just the most amazing book. It's doing two things at the same time. First of all, it's full of amazing real world, real life instruction about who we are and why we're here and how we should live. It's like, it's like an owner's manual for life written by the creator of life about how we should live life. And not just any life, how we should live this rich, satisfying, abundant life, this new life, this better life, this eternal life that God has always wanted for us. So it's giving us this amazing instruction, and even as it's giving us this incredible instruction, it's also, it's also telling a story. And all of the Bible, the, the, all the stories and all the sermons and all the poems and all the verses and all the chapters all work together to tell this one big, amazing, eternal story, and that story leads to Jesus. So today, we're going to do what we've been doing. We're going to pull a snapshot out of the Bible, and we're going to take a look at it and see what we can learn about it, and then maybe more importantly, we're going to see what we can learn from it, like how does it affect us? Right? How does that story play into my story? How does that event or that sermon or that passage matter in my life? And then maybe the most important thing is we're gonna take a look at how that story fits into the big storyline, right? The overall amazing picture that begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation and how that story is pointing us to Jesus. And so today's passage is a story that I bet some of you may have heard. It's the story of Noah and the flood. Anybody ever heard that one? Yeah, a couple of you have. Um, it's in Genesis 6, and this is really just a couple of pages after Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve did their deal, and they, were, they gave in to temptation, and they sinned. They chose their way over God's way, and we learned in Romans that when sin entered them, sin came into the world, and it messed up everybody, and it contaminated everything. And this amazing, perfect creation, this amazing, perfect world that God had built just to be a place where man and God could be together, that world, that, that place just started like spiraling downward. And just in a couple of pages, we go from this amazing Garden of Eden to this hot mess that is the world now. So this is in Genesis 6, in verse 5, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined, everything that mankind thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he'd ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe out this human race. I will wipe out Adam. I will wipe out the human race that I have created from the face of the earth. I'm gonna destroy every living thing all the people and the animals, the small animals that scurry on the ground and even the birds of the sky, I'm sorry I ever made them. Verse eight is a verse we should be thankful for, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Verse nine tells us, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. Listen, you think the world stinks around you right now? He was the only blameless person living on earth at the time. 
and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. And God observed all this corruption in the world because everyone on the earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all living creatures because they filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. And so he goes on, you know the story. He tells Noah he's gonna send his big flood. He's gonna wipe out everything. He gives Noah like the blueprints, the instructions on how to build this humongous boat. This boat is the size of one and a half football fields. So it's a really, really big boat. And Noah's gonna take a pair of every animal on that boat, plus some extras of some of the animals so that they can do sacrifices, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, and also just for food. And Noah's gonna get on the boat with all these animals and with his wife and his three sons and with their wives, and they're gonna ride this thing out. And God is gonna just reboot the whole earth project. And it's gonna rain for 40 days and wash everything away, and we're just gonna start over. And that's what happened. Um, the rain poured down. Also, water erupted from underneath the earth, and the world eventually was covered with dark, chaotic waters till there was no life left. And eventually, the rain stopped, and the water receded, and the ark, this big boat, settled on a mountain, Mount Ararat. And about a year after they walked in, Noah and his family walked out of the ark. In Genesis 9-1, it says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, and he told them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. All the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry on the ground, and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. And all the fishermen and hunters said, Amen. Amen. The animals are under you, right? I have placed them all in your power. Verse five, I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life must also be taken by human hands because God made human beings in his own image. Now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. And then, I mean, we've heard this story before, right? Then God sends this amazing rainbow, and that's like a guarantee that he's never gonna flood the earth again. How many of you have heard that story before? Okay, um, have you heard the rest of the story? Because we don't usually, in Sunday school, we, we cover that part. And a lot of times when we're kids especially, we kind of just stop and we don't read the rest of the story. And here's the rest of the story. This is Genesis 9, 20. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground and he planted a vineyard. One day he drunk some wine that he had made and he became drunk and lay inside his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, so this is Ham as his son, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. And then Shem and Japheth, the other brothers, took a robe, if you can get this scene, this kid walks in, however he's, a, he's married, so he's not young. He walks in, he finds his dad passed out and naked he goes out and tells his brothers about it, okay? And then verse 23, they took a robe and held it over their shoulders and backed into the tent to cover up their father so that they couldn't see him. And as they did it, they looked the other way so they wouldn't see him naked. And when Noah woke up from his stupor, he learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done, and he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. May Canaan be cursed, he said. May, the, may he be the lowest of servants to his relatives. 
and he blessed the other two sons and their descendants. How many of you knew that part of the story? <laughs> not as many, right? I mean, that's not, that's, that's a hard story. It's, it's, um, it's a weird story, right? And it's like hard, nobody ever preaches it because I don't know what to preach. I don't even know, I have to, if I'm honest, I don't really know what Ham did that was wrong. It was obviously something horrible, but I really don't know what he did. He walks into his dad's tent, he finds him passed out, he's drunk, he's naked. I mean, he saw things that no one should have to see, right? I mean, how gross is that? He sees his dad, I mean, how gross would it be for you to see your parents naked right now? Especially if they're old. And listen, he was 600 years old. <laughs> I'm, I'm discreet, because I always am. Every part of his body was 600 years old. And I can only imagine the wrinkles and the moles and the hair. And in my mind, having to see that should have been punishment enough. I don't care what he did. And I, I, I really don't even know what he did. He saw him. He goes outside and tells his brothers. There's a lot of debate, a lot of argument about well, what's the big sin here? What did he do? But I think it's at least tied into, it's at least associated with him disrespecting his father. So I don't know, maybe he walked outside and made fun of his dad to the other brothers when he told them. Maybe he took some pictures and posted them on Instagram. Maybe he took a Sharpie and drew a smiley face on his dad's tummy. I don't know what he did, but somehow it seems like he disrespected. Obviously his brothers showed more respect for their father than he did. And so his brothers and their families were blessed. And him and his family was cursed. So we've talked about this before. This is meditation literature, right? We're supposed to have to think about it. We're supp it, it's supposed to leave gaps. It intentionally leaves stuff that we don't know. It intentionally is making us like discuss it and meditate on it and think about it and study about it. A lot intentionally is left unclear. But I have to tell you, we're doing great because we've at least read the story. Right? Most people never even read this part of the story. So let's look. What can we learn? We said we would do this. What can we learn about this story? And this one's a hard one because everybody knows it. I mean, you've heard the story a million times. So, you know, what's left to learn? But I learned something I thought was kind of interesting recently about this story. Um, have you ever noticed the similarities between the creation story and the flood story? To me, this is interesting. In the flood story, there is chaos, right? Everything is covered with dark, stormy, water, everything, and it's, 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 it's formless, it's crazy, it's chaos, and it's void of life. Does that sound familiar to you? I mean, Genesis 1-1 said, in the beginning, the earth was formless, it was chaotic, it was void of life, and darkness covered the deep waters. It's like, this story is like decreation, right? It's like we're going backwards to the chaos and to the darkness, and, and, and no life. And then, in the flood story, in Noah's story, it's all chaotic, dark waters and all that stuff, and then God separates the waters. This way and this way, God separates the waters 
so that the land can appear. That's exactly what happened in Genesis 1-6. He separated the waters so that the land could appear. Isn't that, is that interesting? That's, that's different, that's something kind of different. And then as I'm looking, there are lots of almost strange similarities and parallels between Adam's story and Noah's story. So both Adam and Noah were set by God on a mountain to start humanity. Same, right? Both were told by God that they should be fruitful and multiply. The exact same words. He said the exact same words, be fruitful and multiply. God told both of them, Adam and Noah, that they were gonna be over all the animals and over everything and all creation was gonna kinda report to them. Noah was a farmer before, so his job was tending and keeping gardens, crops. Adam's job in Eden was to keep the garden. In fact, the words it uses are the same, tending and keeping the garden. The garden is a big deal in both stories. Both of these guys end up in a garden. Both of these guys send in a garden. Both of these guys send with fruit from their garden. Adam with the apple or whatever, and Noah with the wine that he made. Both of them had their nakedness exposed by sin. Weird, huh? Both of them were covered up by somebody else. Both of them had one son that sinned while the other sons did what was acceptable to God. So let me ask you a question. There's, that's a lot, right? Two different stories, a lot in common. Do you think that's an accident? You think that's a, a coincidence? Just happens that these two stories have all these similarities. And I'm suggesting to you, again, it's meditation literature, man. We're supposed to think about it. We're supposed to dig into it. We're supposed to wonder about it and discuss it among ourselves and look at scripture through scripture. And we're supposed to dig and probe and try to break this thing down and tear this thing open and understand what it's really trying to say to us. And I think we're supposed to see something in these similarities. I think we're supposed to see that Noah is just like Adam. Noah's just like Adam. I've read this story, like, I don't know, man, a hundred times. And I, I just recently learned about all these, like, parallels, all these similarities, and I, that's the beauty of the Bible, right? There's just, there's just so much that we can learn about it if we dig, and if we meditate, and if we discuss, and if we, and if we probe. Um, so that's something we can learn about the story. What can we learn from the story? Like, why does this crazy story even matter in our stories, right? How does that even apply in the real, unless there's gonna be another flood, which there's not because of the rainbow. Why does this story even matter to us? Is there any lesson, right, that we can take out of this? And I'm gonna tell you, there are so many lessons. I was gonna like throw out a couple of quick lessons from Noah's life or whatever. I can't, there's just too many. There's too many. So we're gonna have to someday come back to this and do like a topical series um, called you know, Real Life Practical Lessons from the Life of Noah or something because there's just too many. There's too many lessons. So I'll go ahead and give you my sermon titles now 
and then when we come back to it later, then you'll see these are all life lessons that we could learn. Because I think we, we learn from the examples of these people in the Bible, right? Good stuff, bad stuff. We learn from the stories. Um, week one, we'll do a sermon called Obedience Pays Off. Because Noah obeyed God, even when it sounded crazy. And it ended up saving him. It ended up saving his whole life. So what's the application for us in that sermon? We should obey God, even when it's crazy even when it doesn't make sense to us. I'm gonna tell you something, there's a term pastors love to use, that'll preach, right there. That is a real life, real practical, useful message, lesson from this. Obedience pays off. Um, Week number two, God sees you trying. That'll preach, right there. Because I think a lot of us feel probably, you know, Noah was the only good person on the earth. He's just working away, trying to be righteous, trying to do what he's supposed to do, and God saw him. In spite of all the violence and ugliness in the world around him, God somehow saw Noah in the midst of all that. And I think a lot of times for us, doesn't it sometimes feel like you're trying really hard and nobody sees it? God sees you trying. That'll preach. That's a really good practical life application message. Um, Here's a good one. Week three, bring your friends. Judgment is not a joke. You know, we, we tell the story of Noah. Isn't it ironic? The story that every preschooler he- hears in Sunday school is a study of Noah and the ark. And in this story, other than Noah and his family, everybody dies. Everybody dies. And I wanna, if you think it smelled terrible in the ark, which I'm guessing it probably did, think about how it sounded. Can you imagine Noah and his family when God closed that door and they could hear their friends and neighbors begging, pounding on the door, let us in, we we give us another chance. And then slowly those voices got less and less. And they knew that everybody they knew was dead. Jesus compared this story to judgment day. God is love, but God is also just. And the way that we live and the choices that we make have consequences. And we owe it to the people around us to make sure they understand judgment is not a joke. And that'll preach. Because that is a real life, right now, applicable message. Week number four, here's a good one. Drunkenness leads to disaster. (laughs) That'll preach. Uh, Noah ends up embarrassing himself. I mean, we're talking about it thousands of years later, this guy passed out drunk and naked. Don't, Don't you feel sorry for him? We're still talking about it. It was so ugly and so horrible. So he embarrasses himself. His he causes his son to sin, and then Noah ends up cursing his grandson and his descendants. And all of that happened because somebody got drunk. That's a a great message right there. I can preach that one right now. Drunkenness leads to disaster. Uh, Week five is gonna be this one. Some family traditions need to be broken. Right? That's just because your parents do wrong doesn't mean you have to. And just because your family and your parents are dishonorable, that doesn't mean you can't honor them. And just because your brothers sin doesn't mean you have to. Some family traditions need to be broken. That'll preach. That's a real life, practical, applicable truth. 
Number six, this would be like getting close to the end of the series. I'm going to get all excited now. This one's called Beware the Rainbow because we tend to stay close to God. I do. I can't speak for you. I tend to stay close to God when it's dark and scary and stormy and I don't understand what's going on. I'm very close to God in storms and in those circumstances. But then when the water recedes and the, you know, the, the boat settles and the crisis is over, it's easy to forget about God. And you know that and I know that. I'm going to warn you of something. Satan knows that too. So be careful when things smooth out. Beware the rainbow. That'll preach right there. I mean, I should sell these online to pastors. These are really good, like starters, right, for a sermon. These are, what are, what are they? They're really great, real-life, practical, applicable lessons that we can learn from the life of Noah. And here's a really good one, number seven. Nobody's perfect. That'll preach. Nobody's perfect. It says in the Bible that Noah was the best man on earth. He was the best man on earth, and yet he did something remarkably stupid, right? And so when you do something stupid, give yourself a little grace. And when someone you know does something stupid, remember, nobody's perfect. There's, there's a lot of great practical lessons that we can learn from this story. And that last one, I think, is really important in the series, the way we're doing it right now, to understand that nobody's perfect. Because when God chooses Noah as the one, right? He's gonna use Noah to recreate humanity. If you're reading through the Bible, and we left Adam and Eve thinking, man, we need a better Adam, right? And now here comes Noah. Well, he's blameless. He's walking with God. He's the best man on earth, and God picks him to repopulate the earth and all that. And you kind of get your hopes up, right? You kind of start thinking, maybe he's our guy. Maybe, maybe our hero has come a couple of pages in. Maybe the snake crusher is here. Maybe this is God's perfect image. It's gonna overcome sin and, and reunite God and man. And you know, so it's meditation literature, right? So it makes us think, is, could it be him? Could it be Noah? Okay, so we learned about the story. There are some things we can learn from the story. Now let's take a look at how this story fits, in, fits into the big eternal story, the overarching story the points to Jesus. Okay, so Adam was a man, we agree, right? Pretty good man, pretty good. He was created in God's image, so he was, he was pretty good, but he was flawed because he couldn't overcome temptation. He couldn't overcome sin. He, could, he couldn't beat the snake, right? Uh, he couldn't represent God to humanity, and he couldn't represent humanity to God, so he disqualified himself as a royal priest, and so we needed a better Adam. We, we needed a better Adam. And so the search begins, right? And then, enter Noah. How exciting. He's blameless. It said the word blameless. It said he was the only righteous man. It said he walked closely with God. So it's like maybe he's the one. Maybe he can fix it. Right? Maybe he can rec reconcile this thing. He is offspring of Eve. Maybe he's the one that's gonna crush Satan's head and reconcile God to man. But as we dig and as we meditate on scripture and as we really try to understand what it's really trying to tell us, we eventually see Noah's just like Adam. It's not gonna be him. I thought maybe it was gonna be Adam. 
didn't work out. I thought maybe it was going to be Noah, but it's not going to be him. And all of these heroes, we're going to talk about a lot of these heroes in the Old Testament especially, there are great lessons in their lives, really positive things that we can copy what they did, really negative things that we want to stay away from what they did, but they all kind of leave us with the same feeling of maybe it's going to be him. Maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one that's going to fix everything. And they all leave in the same way. They all end with us saying, oh, he's not the answer. We need a, we need a better human. We need a, a better son of man who is up to this and who can make things right between God and man and, and who can bring back God's perfect kingdom. We, we, need, a, we need a better Adam and we need a better Noah. And specifically this story, it, does, it, it, it makes us look for Jesus. This story makes us say, we need, we, we, oh, we thought we had it, but it wasn't good enough. We just need a better Noah. This one especially because this story is about a world of chaos and darkness and death. And within that world, a place of safety and a place of refuge and a place of rest with Noah. In fact, the word Noah, in Hebrew, Noah, it actually means a place of rest, a place of refuge. So Noah is an image, he's a, he's a copy of Adam in his weakness, we saw that, he's a copy of Adam in his weakness, but he's also a type of Christ. It's really important as we're studying the Old Testament to understand this, a type is like a foreshadowing Right? We talk about that in, in movies and books and stuff, right? A foreshadowing, like a little taste. Like we, we see a, a, a shadow, an image kind of, a, like a representation that makes us look forward to the real thing. That's, an, that's a type of Christ. It's a representation that makes us look forward to the real thing. So we saw the similarities between Adam and Noah. Let's take a look at some similarities between Noah and Jesus, okay? Here's the first one. Noah means rest. That's what the word means. It means rest. Even when there was chaos and darkness and death all around them, they had refuge. They had, they had rest in the ark with Noah. And similarly, in our world of chaos and darkness and death, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me if you're tired. Come to me if you can't carry that stuff anymore. Come to me and I will give you rest. In Noah's story, the whole world was being judged and condemned for its sin and judgment and condemnation and death were all around them. But Noah and his family were safe, key words, in the ark. Right? There was death all around them, but they were safe in the ark. There was judgment being executed all around them, but they were safe in the ark. And one day the world's gonna be judged again. And there's gonna be judgment. And there's gonna be death. And there's gonna be condemnation all around us. But Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation, there is no death for those of us who are in Christ. Similar, right? Um, God brought salvation through Noah's faithful obedience to the Father's plan, right? He saved that family. 
and all those animals. He brought salvation through Noah's faithful obedience to the Father's plan. And our salvation comes through the faithful obedience of Jesus to the Father's plan. Romans 5.19 says, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, that's Adam. But because one person, Jesus, obeyed God, many will be made righteous. You see the similarity there? God brought salvation through Noah's faithful obedience, and he brings us our salvation through Jesus' faithful obedience. Here's another one. No, this, is, this is a good one. Noah's family was saved not by their goodness, but by their connection to Noah, right? I don't know what Ham's doing there, but apparently he's a sinner, right? He wasn't, he, Noah said, he was, well, it says it right here. Uh, Genesis 7, 1, when everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, go into the boat with all your family, so they're in, they're in, for among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. Mrs. Noah may not have been that righteous, I don't know. The three sons, don't know. The daughters-in-law, mm. Noah was righteous, and they were saved just because of their connection to Noah. Now let me ask you a question in our world. Are we saved by our goodness and our righteousness and our deeds, or are we saved by our connection to Jesus? Let me read a scripture to you, see if it sounds right. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who acts right will be saved. <laughs> That's not what it says. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see the similarity? They were saved not by their goodness, not by their righteousness, but 100% by their connection to Noah. We are saved not by our goodness, not by our righteousness, not by our good deeds, but 100% by our connection to Jesus. We are saved 100% because we are in Christ. Do this all day, huh? You see the similarities? It's cool, right? In the flood story, God is judging sin. Sin is bringing death, but God provides a means of escape through the ark. And in Christ, we escape the judgment of our sin. God brings a means for that through the cross. So there's judgment and sin and death all around them, and God gives them a means of escape, the ark. There's judgment and sin and death all around us, and God gives us a means of escape, the cross. And what's funny is both the ark and the cross are made of wood, like the tree of life in the garden. Probably just a coincidence, huh? Accident. This one might be a reach. In the flood story, a dove is the sign that judgment is over and new life has come, right? That's how he knew. That's how he knew it was safe. He sent the dove out, remember? A dove was a sign that judgment was over and new life has come. And so when Jesus is baptized and he comes up out of the water to begin his ministry, which is to save us from judgment and give us new life, what's there? A dove. Because Jesus has come. Judgment is over. And new life has come. So this story is absolutely a huge part of the big story that points to Jesus. It has, it has like a, a job to do in the big story. This little story over here in Genesis has a job to do in this great big story that's gonna eventually lead us to Jesus, and its job is to, 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 to leave us saying, it's like foreshadowing, right? It's leaving us saying, we gotta get back to Eden, man. We gotta fix this thing that's broken between us and God. We need somebody to do it, but it's not Adam. We need a better Adam. We need a better temple. We need a better priest. We need a better Noah. We need a Messiah. 
all of these stories leave this taste in our mouth, right? That we need a Messiah. And this word Messiah, it means the one that's called. It means the one that's anointed by, it's the same word as Christ. Christ is in Greek and this isn't, Messiah is in Hebrew, it's the same word. It means God has called this person, has especially chosen this one and anointed this person. We need, that's what we need, right? We need a Messiah to live the life that we were designed to live as God's royal priest. We need a Messiah to represent God to mankind and to represent mankind to God. We need a Messiah who can actually be fruitful and multiply by birthing a new humanity who actually can be God's royal priest. We need a Messiah to save us from death and judgment. We, all the things that the previous things weren't, right? We need a Messiah that can be a safe place in a world of chaos and darkness and death. We need a Messiah to be a place of rest and refuge and peace with God. We need a Messiah to empower us to be who God created us to be. We, we need a Messiah. That's this whole, the whole Old Testament leaves us saying, ah, we need a Messiah, right? That's the whole Old Testament leaves us saying that and it's leading us somewhere. It's leading us to the Messiah. Can you guess who that Messiah is gonna be? I'll give you three hints. Hint number one, it's not Adam. He got his butt kicked by the snake, right? It's not Adam. It's not Noah. He's just like Adam. Hint number three. It's Jesus. It's, it's Jesus. He's, he is all that stuff. Jesus is the one that lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. Jesus is the one that is the perfect royal priest. Jesus is our safe refuge in a world of chaos and darkness and death. Jesus is our peace and is our rest. Jesus saved us from death and judgment just by our connection to him. Jesus gives us new life. He is fruitful and multiplying. He gives us new life as a new humanity that is empowered by his spirit to overcome sin and temptation and death. Jesus is the better temple. Jesus is the better Adam. Jesus is the better Noah. Jesus is the one this story points to. I'm telling you, man, this book, it is, it's amazing. It's full of real life practical instructions. And at the same time, from creation to the garden to Adam to Noah to Revelation, it all leads to Jesus. It's all about him. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us, first of all, the instruction and all the great things we can learn about how to having this life that you've called us to that's rich and satisfying and abundant. Thank you for the instruction in your word. And I just thank you for this amazing story, how it's all interconnected and everything works together in unity to tell us one big unified story. And thank you for showing us that that story is all about Jesus. Or will you please just Help us see how incredible this book is. Help us appreciate your word so that we want to dig in and meditate and discuss and talk about it. And will you help us to see how awesome Jesus is? That since the Garden of Eden, since creation, this story is about him. And God, will you just please help us to see that just like this Bible, just like this word, just like this story is all about Jesus, that's how our lives should be. 
whatever else we're doing, whatever else we're learning or experiencing, our lives should all be about Jesus. May that be true. In his name, amen.